We'll go ahead and open your Bible to James chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 27. James 1, 19 to 27. I will um, provide sort of a, 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 well, I even sort of prepared an abbreviated version of this. Basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this passage over the next two weeks. I know we had uh, officer ordination and installation today, um, and so communion next week. Uh, both of which, you know, get a little bit more compressed. And so we'll be back in this passage next week. But James 1, 19 to 27, page 854 or uh, 897 in the Pew Bible. And as you're turning there, I'll ask you this question. As a follower of Christ, is it more likely that other believers, let's say people around you, who your f- friends, family, neighbors, so forth, people close to you who know you, uh, that those who come to the Lord... Okay, come to faith in Christ, is, is it more likely that uh, they would say they're drawn to Christ because of you or that they're drawn to Christ in spite of you? Because <laughs> we've all known people who profess to be Christians but whose lives consistently seem to suggest otherwise, right? Uh, you know, we've all, we all know them. None of them go here if you're visiting. Uh, <laughs> You came to the right place. You just want to let you know that's one of the things we... Um, <laughs> you know, I, there, there's a, I, a particular um, woman comes to mind when I think about such things in a, in a past church, uh, you know, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, um, a woman uh, who sat, you know, right in front of us. She was in church a lot, but she she just sort of lived with this scowl on her face. She was just kind of an angry person, not just unhappy, but, you know, angry. And, and I'll say, in all seriousness, like, I don't know her background. I, I don't, she might have, like, lived with, you know, chronic pain. Uh, she might have suffered, you know, tremendous loss or mistreatment. I really don't know what her background is. I just know she, she kind of just wore this this scowl, and it was hard to kind of break her out of it. You could smile and say, you know, whatever kind words, and and uh, she usually just did not reciprocate in kind. You know, it was sort of like trying to, you know, kind of get her to warm up or, or whatever, be affectionate with her was like, you know, getting a sand spur out of your shoelace or something. You know, it was like there's no good, no good angle. It's just prickly from all directions. You know, and. Um, she, but she was, a, she was in church uh, all the time. She had even been um, involved serving in the uh, kitchen for the preschool at one time and uh, until she was asked to leave because she was cussing at the kids, okay? So, um, and ironically, her name was Miss Grace. <laughs> And, you know, so, so her life just did not match her name, you know? And there's no shortage of those kinds of stories of people. In an excerpt from a newly released book uh, entitled Irresistible Faith, I've not read the book, but I just saw an excerpt online. Pastor and author Scott Sauls says the following. Critics might summarize their feelings about Christians with these words attributed to Mahatma Gandhi. I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. 
Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. More recently, San Francisco journalist Herb Cain said, the trouble with born-again Christians is that they're in even bigger pain the second time around. (laughs) And then Scott quotes author Anne Rice, who as an adult had converted to Catholicism and then uh, several years ago had this to say, for those who care, and I understand if you don't, today I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being Christian or to being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For 10 years I've tried, I've failed. I'm an outsider and my conscience will allow nothing else. Well, ouch, you know? deservedly infamous. And I don't know in what sense uh, Anne Rice ever considered herself a Christian. That's not really the point here. The point is that many people find the words and actions of the Christian community repelling rather than compelling. And uh, they find, in other words, that the lifestyle of Christians doesn't match the Christ in their name. Now, I do want to set our perspective correctly on this. Jesus told his disciples that the world would hate them because it hated him. Mankind in general rejects and reviles God because of the sinfulness in the heart of man, not because of anything outside of him. Okay, so, so, so people's unbelief is on them, not on us or anybody else. It's often the hypocrisy of Christians is often uh, sort of the blame of people's unbelief is laid there. Um, and, and, uh, and that is not the case of so people responsible for their own sin. And God, by his grace, has to sort of deliver them out of there. And yet, James says that for the believer who has a real faith in Christ who really has had a work of God done in their heart, there ought to be a pattern of speech and conduct that lines up with what they say they believe. A pattern of speech and conduct that lines up with what they believe. And so that's why I've titled this message, Guard Your Mouth, Mind Your Step. From James 1, 19 to 27, let's look there together. And I'm gonna ask you if you're able to stand and honor the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 19, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed by his doing. 
If anyone thinks he is religious and does, it, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we uh, thank you as always for the privilege of opening your word that is living and active and that you cause by your spirit to come alive to us in a special way, the way that uh, we need it to and the way you intend to minister it to us. And so, Lord, in our short time together today, we pray you would do precisely that. You know every need in this room, you know every um, heart and circumstance, you know what it is that needs to challenge us, encourage us, convict us, or move us in whatever other way. And so would you speak, Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You'll recall that uh, James is writing to believers in Christ who are scattered abroad and one of his primary concerns in this general epistle is to describe what authentic faith looks like and to urge people to live out that kind of faith. So it's interesting to consider that already this early in the life of the church, this had to be said, right? Has that even struck you? I mean, that James is still alive and yet already uh, there's this tendency for people to wander into professing to believe something and yet struggling to live as if what they believe is true. And that very early in the life of the church, those kinds of things need to be said. Two weeks ago, we saw the earlier part of chapter one that uh, James said an authentic faith perseveres in trials and temptations. And he says that authentic faith is reflected here in the way a person lives specifically in their speech and conduct. And he introduces these two themes that he'll come back to. If, you're, if you've read and studied James, you know uh, that he'll have more to say about the tongue and a more, he'll have more to say about the tension between our faith and our works. He'll come back to both in subsequent chapters. But in essence, he tells believers, if you intend to follow Jesus, you need to guard your mouth and you need to mind your step. And so I'm just gonna sort of speak quickly to the subject of guarding your mouth uh, here this morning, but look uh, again at the beginning of verse 22, what he says there, and this is what needs to cap capture our attention this morning. I'm sorry, it's not verse 22, it's 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, these three go together in kind of a, a fashion that almost doesn't need to be explained a whole bunch to us. We, we kind of get it. Hear, and, and in order to hear, don't speak, right? You can't talk and listen at the same time. And don't speak even though you may be angry and have something somebody really needs to hear right now, you think. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. By default, we, we often do the very opposite of that, right? 
We're slow to hear, but we're quick to speak and quick to anger. Quick to speak because we're so quick to anger often. And, and, and we get similar messages on this subject of the, the wisdom and necessity of, of just restraining our lips. Uh, we get that message from Proverbs several times. I've got a few, uh, a few of those that I'll read. Proverbs 10:19 says, "When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Where words are many, transgression is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 29:11 says, "A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Uh, uh, the New King James, I think, reads there, a fool gives vent to all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. You know how easy it is to be a fool in that regard? If you don't know, I can give you a training class on it. Um, it's easy, right? It's natural to say, Everything that's on your mind, especially if you feel like it needs to be vented, a wise man, though, holds it back, the proverb says. And then Proverbs 17, 27, and 28 say, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. You may be familiar with the quote um, attributed to Abraham Lincoln, he, which he probably, uh, probably was inspired by that proverb. Abraham Lincoln said, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. <laughs> so sometimes the, the wisest and best thing we can do is to be quiet. Easier said than done, right? Those who are quick to speak are very likely to say either the wrong thing, say it in the wrong way, or at the wrong time, or any combination of the three. You know, it's possible, it is possible to have true things to say and not say it in the right way. It's, it's possible to have right and true things to say and to say it in the right way at the wrong time. Be slow to speak. Uh, just, just be quiet. I mean, you know, just don't say anything. <laughs> and there's wisdom in that. In the age of social media, uh, not a week goes by that there are not prime examples of uh, quick to speak and quick to anger, right? Prime examples of it. Because it's so easy now to say so much to so many people about so many different things. Do you remember the day, if you're like over, I don't know, 35 maybe, do you remember the day when, when very few people cared about your opinion? I mean, actually, probably very few care about it now, right? If we're honest with ourselves, but we can tell everybody about it now. I mean, because there's, there's not only social media, but every news website has a comment box. What do you think? I can remember when the local news started doing that, you know, uh, what do you think? Tell us online. I'm thinking, what? I don't care what my neighbor thinks. I want you to tell me what happened, you know, in the Congo or whatever. Tell me the news. I don't want to know. I can go next door and ask my neighbor what he thinks. I don't need. 
Do you remember the day and age where it wasn't, in other words, so easy just to say everything you thought as if everybody cared about it? Um, But my point is, we live in this age, this is really not to make light of it, it is to say um, the the digital age makes it so easy to say so many things to so many people um, so immediately. And, you know, there was just the, I don't know, perfect illustration of this this week. Uh, Many of you may be aware there was this incident in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. of of the, the school group from uh, the Catholic school in Kentucky. And um, if you're not familiar with that, essentially there was a, vir- uh, a video of a little kind of a soft confrontation between these high school boys with a, a Native American activist there. It was a short video clip that went viral and kind of got immediate reaction to that about what the boys were saying, doing, and their motivation for that and those kinds of things. And then, um, you know, a, a day or so later, a full-length video came out. And it, and it told the whole story. And what it showed was, there was more to the story. Or maybe a different story altogether. But at the very least, it said, um, people said too much too soon in reaction. Quick to speak, quick to anger. Now, to be fair, not everybody then changed their mind about that. And, and maybe... Uh, ought not to have. I don't uh, really have an opinion on that, frankly. But the the point is simply to say, uh, there's a vivid illustration of it, and there'll be another one this week. It might not be quite so nationally newsworthy, but it's it's there all the time. And it's just magnified uh, on social media. In fact, one website commenting on this incident at at Covington Catholic School, a, a a website from a, a rather liberal perspective, but said this, kind of acknowledged this, that, that Twitter rewards those who are quick to speak and quick to anger. They didn't use that language. Here's what, here's what they said. That when this, when this video, this first little short video went viral, or not when it went viral, when it was first posted, said this, the earlier you tweeted the first video, and the more incendiary your view, the likelier you were to have it shot into the algorithmic stratosphere. Now, let me translate that for you. It says is that the quicker you reacted by sharing that video, and the more inflamed and fired up you were, the more explosive in your comments, the more likely you were for your post to go viral and be shared thousands and thousands of times. And that means that at least in this one significant way, that social media is actually designed to encourage the worst in you and me by rewarding us when we show our worst to the world. You see, we don't think of careless speech necessarily as, as, as belonging in the category of, of some of the worst we could reveal about ourselves. Uh, if we asked other people and then listened to them, especially those outside the sphere of the Christian community, how uh, impactful our negative speech is, we might uh, learn something. But James puts it at the top of the list, right? right? I mean, this is right here at the beginning of his letter. 
He's concerned about our speech and how that reflects a genuine walk with Christ. None of us consider this, beloved, in light of this fact, in, in light of the fact that we, we, like it or not, live in a world that, is, that, that operates this way. We live in a digital age. If you interact with people on social media, you live in this world that is designed in some ways to encourage the worst in us and then reward us if we produce the worst. None of us would encourage a man to spend hours scrolling through images of scantily clad women on the internet, right? We take great care to even guard against that. We have internet filters. We, we, we do things just sort of even uh, in terms of routines and the way we've got things arranged to avoid uh, certain content that might entice us to sin. And yet we actually, many of us daily, just scroll through activity that is designed to entice you to be quick to speak and quick to anger. Hey, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't need help being quick to speak and quick to anger, right? I don't, I, I don't need encouragement. I, that comes naturally to me. But that's really... Uh, the situation. And so we, we, need, we just need to be mindful of the fact uh, it's okay to have a thought that nobody besides you knows about. You know, it's okay for something to go into your mind and it just stays right there. It's just your little secret. You're the only, you can be the only one who knows. You're special. I know something nobody else knows. It's okay to just leave it right there. And so here's just a few uh, kind of points of application here, some, some practical things we can do uh, to help us in this regard. And again, this, some of this would apply. It's not, I'm, I'm speaking about social media because it is, it is so predominant in the way that we interact socially in this age. Not everybody does, but, but it just is so prevalent. Um, it, but it applies in other ways too. But, but uh, three points of application. The first is to ask yourself a couple of questions. Is what I'm about to say helpful? And is it necessary? Okay, is, is what I'm about to say helpful? And is it necessary? A related question to that would be, if I never respond to this thing, if I never, if I don't share that post, if I don't comment on that post, if I don't reply to that email or forward it or whatever the case may be, if I never respond to this, what's the consequence of my silence? In other words, is, is, is anybody any worse off because I didn't respond? I mean, that's a, that's a valid question at the moment. And sometimes there may be something, it really is important for you to share. But you know, the truth be known, many of us sometimes um, are afraid in a, in a very self-centered way, if I'm silent about something, people will think I'm with the other guy. So I've got to be sure I declare my position so they, so all my, my tribe knows I'm on their tribe. In other words, it's really not a concern about whether it's helpful or necessary. Um, but whether it, uh, you know, I'm in the right place and you're thinking about, you know. 
self-promoting in other words. So ask yourself those questions. Number two, if you need to say something, draft, uh, type a draft of your response in some other program. So like uh, 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 type it in um, pages or Word or Google Docs or just your little notes app on your phone. Type what it is you want to say. Right then, all the emotion in it, you go ahead, okay? And just save <laughs> and set it aside and wait 24 hours and see if you feel the same way before posting it. Do you remember um, there used to be a day when news ran tomorrow? You remember that? Like newspapers, if news happened today, it'll be in the paper tomorrow. It might make the 11 o'clock news, right? But there was time for it to be edited and fact-checked and all that kind of stuff. Now, even the news agencies, if they want to if they, if they be the first on the story, they got to get it out 30 seconds from now. And so it lends itself to this rashness and error and all that kind of stuff. And most chances are, whatever you have to say is not that urgent, right? That it can't wait till tomorrow. That's not always the case, but it's a good, a good practice. And that doesn't have to be even um, a, an online post, by the way, that I'm talking about. If, you, if, if you're getting ready to pick up the phone and call somebody, depending on what it is you're ready to say, if it's quick to speak and quick to anger, what you might rather do is write down what you want to say and be sure that's what you want to say. It's a good discipline. Uh, it will it'll guard your mouth. And number three, if you're in a face-to-face -face conversation, be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. Listen. And as I heard um, somebody say at Presbytery a couple days ago, listen in order to understand, don't listen in order to speak. Because most of the time, we're listening um, in order to formulate how we're going to respond to what you just said, or else we're just waiting for the other person's voice to stop. We're not even listening to it. It's just noise. Like, we're just waiting for it to end until we can have our turn talking, right? So, so if you're face-to-face, -face, listen in order to understand. And it may be that in spite of, like there's an immediate reaction, quick to anger and you're ready to be quick to speak, but maybe the next thing you, you need to uh, voice is a question, not a comment. Okay, so you, you just said such and such. Did you, help me understand that. Did you mean what I think you just, you know, help me understand. Questions are better than statements very often, but listen, listen in order to understand rather than listening to speak. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James puts it right at the top of the list of things uh, believers ought to be concerned about in the way that we live, our, live out our faith. Um, and, and not only the testimony that that has, that that communicates to the world, but also to what it does in us for good or for ill. Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, he says. And so often the things that we are quickly to voice 
um, do not work for our good and they don't work for the good of others either. Well, we'll tie a loose bow around that this, uh, this morning and come back to it next week for the latter part of the passage. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, there's so much here we know for us that is relevant and practical and challenging. And we could open this right by ourselves in private and simply read it with little said about it and there's plenty there to convict us. And so Lord, would you just reveal to us the ways that we need to be more disciplined in our response to people, in our speech, or, or, or even more in our uh, silence. To be disciplined in our quiet, in restraining our lips, um, so that um, we might have speech and lifestyle that really are consistent with what we profess to believe and consistent with the life and the speech of Christ whose name we bear. So God, convict us, challenge us, and change us where we have need. In Jesus' name, amen.